take your Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. So I want to encourage you to make sure you join Pastor John. We're going to be out there on October 13th in the park. Pray against a heat stroke out there. Um, it's getting so hot. Um, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. As you're turning there, a couple of announcements. Along, Pastor John mentioned a little bit, the week after that October 13th gathering, we're going to be right here for three nights, October 19th, the 20th, and the 21st. That's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday night. And my good buddy, Eddie James, is going to come, and he's going to be with us all three nights. And uh, we don't really have a schedule for that. We don't know what's going to happen. We, the Lord spoke to me and said, invite Eddie and just have an old school three-night revival. Now, some of you guys don't remember old school stuff like that, but we used to start off with a three-night revival, and it turned into seven weeks. And, and um, we didn't get to do that thing where because you have school in the morning, you didn't come to church. You had to come to church, do your homework under the pew, and uh, get good grades and know what the preacher was preaching about. Luckily for us, back in the day, you used to preach the same thing every night. Um, but the power of God used to fall, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, I want you to go back to the old way. Go back to the old way. Uh, well, we throw out the clock, and for three nights, we just go after it. So um, we're going to open up registration for that. It's completely free. Uh, but I encourage you to register right away because uh, it's going to get packed out. This is a small building, and we usually have about six, 700 when we have Eddie come. And so you don't want to get locked out of that. You want to make sure that you're part of that. Um, also, make sure you follow us on social media at The Collide on Instagram and Facebook and all that stuff. We live stream these services. We take it down right after, but we live stream it. So uh, feel encouraged to share that and all that stuff. Just make sure you hashtag The Collide together as a one word, The Collide, so that we can see those testimonies and all that stuff. And then, let's see, what else am I supposed to talk about? Um... You know, this next six months is going to be real interesting. I'm visiting about nine different countries to do uh, crusades and different things in December. Off to Philippines. I'll spend Christmas in the Philippines giving gifts to orphans. Um, and I need your help. And so you say, Pastor Dell, man, the Lord's blessed me a little bit. And so I can give every month. I want you to sign up to be a partner with us on a monthly basis. You can do that online or you can do that through uh, tonight on our envelopes. And you can just come and partner with us and help us to be a blessing to the nations. And then... Uh, lastly, if you want to get the audio, you can talk to the sound guy in the back. I promise you, this is going to be one of those words uh, that you need to hear every now and then. Matthew chapter 6, just one verse, verse 33. If you got to shout amen. amen. If you need more time, say hold up. Okay, well, we'll help you. Matthew, Matthew. It's in between Genesis and Revelation. <laughs> Genesis and Revelation. Good to see you, cat. Good to see you. Um, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. I'm reading from the New King James. <clears throat> but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. I'm going to read it one more time. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. We've been on a series this entire sum summer titled Kingdom Come, and I was praying about what I was supposed to share tonight, uh, because if you didn't get last month's message, you weren't here, you need to go ahead and grab that online at, on our website, uh, because I talk about the kingdom uh, has come, the kingdom is coming, and the kingdom will come. Well, which one is it? It's all of them at the same time. And so I express what that means, and tonight, the Lord's spoken to me uh, that even though the kingdom is coming... Uh, it is important that we prioritize the kingdom. And so the kingdom can't just come. The kingdom has to be first. 
So tonight I want to preach from the subject, kingdom first. God, I thank you for your word, that your word is like a double-edged sword, that it cuts to the very marrow of our being. God, we have a variety of people in the room tonight. We've got different cultures, different denominations, different age groups from all across the Bay Area, all across the nation, actually, Lord. And so um, I'm not a good enough communicator, Jesus, to be able to reach each person. And so I need you to hide me behind the blood and under the cross that I wouldn't be seen, but God, that you would be revealed. God, when I pray this prayer, I genuinely mean it from the bottom of my heart. We need your move in this region. This is about more than just this ministry and this church. God, we are desperate to see your kingdom established in the Bay Area. God, we want to see your power move more in Walmart than we do in the aisles of our churches. We want to see you move on our jobs more than we see you move anywhere else. God, we want our prayer meetings to be bigger than our conferences, Lord. We want you to become famous, God. We have made tech industries famous, but we're asking tonight that you would start with us, that we would conclude that you are the famous one. In Jesus' name, if you agree with that, shout amen. amen. Look at your neighbor and simply tell them the kingdom has to be first. Kingdom has to be first. You guys remember kickball back in the day? Uh, for those of you who are uh, younger than 20, this is not an app. This is a game that we used to play in this place called Outside. Um, no. <laughs> Look at all the young people asking their parents, kickball? What was that? Um, we used to play this game called kickball. Come on, and you remember kickball, a little bouncy, not too rolly, not too bouncy. Just Come on, you know what I'm talking about, a little. All my Oakland peeps, they're the only one like, I got you, brother. I got you. I'm with you. <laughs> kickball. Um, and we used to play kickball back in the day. Um, but I used to hate playing kickball because I wasn't that good at kickball. Now I know the Lord has added to my physical body in this season, uh, but I grew up and I was a skinny child. So it wasn't about being chubby, but I just wasn't good at sports. Athletics was not my thing. And I got a scripture for it. The Bible says exercise profits little <laughs> profits, even less when you don't do any of it. Um, and so uh, I just used to hate kickball, but, and everybody knew that I sucked and it was always surprising that I was horrible at sports. Um, I won't, I won't pull them out, but you know, one of the brothers over here in this area gave me a whole uh, contusion in my hip cause he crossed me over and he doesn't know how to honor pastors, but that's a whole nother story. Um, <laughs> six foot four, 14 year old. That don't even make sense. Um, but, you know, one of the embarrassing things is because when people discover that I wasn't good at sports, I never get picked first. And you know, like, what the deal was. It was like kickball was very political. Like, only the cool kids got to be captains, first of all. You couldn't be the little nerd who was just a math nerd and you were never the captain. It was always the cool kid or the loud, boisterous, obnoxious person, uh, which I'm surprised that wasn't me. But um, they would always be the captain. And who got picked first? Never the little chubby fat kid. Amen. <laughs> Somebody said amen. Um, it was like the person who always got picked first was the person that the captain was in relationship with as far as like friendship. Either that was their best friend or they were super good at playing kickball. And so you, you pick them first. Right. And watch this. I used to my only prayer in elementary was, Lord, don't let me be picked last. Lord, let me be picked second, third. I'll even be picked eighth. Just don't let me be picked last because getting picked last meant that you sucked. Y'all are heck of quiet. We got a lot of last pick people in the room. Uh, <laughs> some of y'all are being triggered right now. <laughs> Tripping, right? It's okay. We'll have an altar call. Um, and so, 
So you used to get picked last, right? Let me move. I got all this stuff in the way, and I'm too charismatic not to be walking around. Um, and I used to hate getting picked last because something about getting picked first, specifically in kickball, it just meant that you were either cool, it meant that you were talented, it meant that you were gifted, something in that range. It actually spoke well of you if you got picked first. Here's the problem in the church, that we have treated God like the game of kickball, but he doesn't get picked first. He has become a part of our life and an addendum to our life, but and he has become even a large part of our life, but he has not become primary for most of us in our life. And here's the thing about God, that God will never place, place second place to anybody else, no matter how noble it is. He will not place second place to your husband. He will not place second place to your wife. He will not place second place to the ministry. God must be first. And the thing about God is that he will be first. Whether you acknowledge it or not, but there are benefits when you choose to place God as first. So as we talk about the kingdom this whole summer, what we're talking about is not just allowing the kingdom to be a large part of your life. It's about letting the kingdom be preeminent in your life so that all the decisions that you make come after primarily prioritizing the kingdom in your life. Is this making sense? Is this making sense? Right. So the kingdom has to not just be a huge part because some of us get satisfied with that, allowing the kingdom just to be a large part of our life. And just because we spend a lot of time doing ministry. But the truth is, we spend a lot of time doing ministry, but it's still not first. The kingdom has to be first. Look at your neighbor and say the kingdom has to be first. It's not enough to simply even be a member of God's kingdom. The kingdom must be prioritized in in your life. Look at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6 and just write it down because we don't have enough time to talk about it. But in chapter 5 and 6, especially in chapter 5, we know it as the Beatitudes. But really what God is, what Jesus is teaching to the followers in Matthew chapter 5 is he is teaching them what it means to be a kingdom citizen. What does it mean for you to be a citizen of the kingdom? What does it look like? How do you behave? What are your mannerisms? Because some of us can speak in tongues, but we still don't have the characteristics of the kingdom. Amen. Because the kingdom is not exemplified. The, fr- the fruit of the spirit is not tongues. Amen. Come, come on with your knucklehead. I'm going to talk to you tonight. The, the fruit of the spirit is not tongues. The fruit of Because some of you can speak in tongues, but you can't speak in English to say hello. You're a prophet who can speak in the third heavens, but you can't come down to my pew and speak to me. It's quiet. Okay. I'm not nervous. Just let let you know, like when you get quiet, I start thinking I got a good point and I need to stick right there. Right. Because we especially in the Pentecostal circles, the most spiritual people. I grew up in the kind of circles where the most spiritual people were the nastiest people, man. I mean, if you were a prophet, you were just mean. You were just evil. You walked around looking angry all the time and like something stank and you took communion with pickle juice. Right. You just you couldn't even prophesy with a smile on your face because you had to be deep because we equate. Equated uh, the gifts of the spirit to being what it means to be a citizen kingdom. But here's what Jesus says about what it looks like to be a citizen in the kingdom. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says stuff like blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sakes for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says stuff like for I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the deacons, I'm sorry, and the Pharisees, you will no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is telling them that the kingdom looks a whole lot different than just power. Now understand the kingdom is power. The kingdom is righteousness, but it's also learning how to be a blessed person, how to live in that blessing. And that blessing is not just about filling your bank account. It's about filling your heart. 
Because some of you write big checks, but you don't have a good heart. I didn't mean to get this hard so soon in the message. You, so, so Jesus in Matthew chapter five, and is it okay if I teach for a little bit before I yell at you? Jesus in Matthew chapter five is telling the people, here's what it looks like when you are a citizen of the kingdom, that these are what we call the B attitude. And you can even break them down. You hear preachers say it all the time. The B attitudes. It's what your attitude is supposed to be, that there's something that when you are a kingdom citizen, this is what it looks like. You are poor in spirit. You are broken in contrite in your heart. This is what it looks like to be a kingdom citizen. See, and then in chapter six, Jesus flat out prays this whole prayer. And we, we call it the Lord's prayer, but really it's the prayer for the apostles because he's teaching them how to pray. And Jesus says to them, when you pray, pray our father. So he's starting it off relationally. And this is huge to the children of Israel because to the children of Israel, God was Yahweh, that he was this distant, far off God. But when Jesus said, on the scene, he says, I'm going to, I'm going to show you what it looks like to be in a citizen because everybody who's a citizen of the kingdom is a son or a daughter. Let me take it back. Everybody who's in the kingdom is a son. Now I know women don't get mad at me. If I've got to be the bride of Christ, you got to be the son of God. And that's important for you to understand because the Israelites knew that there was an inheritance when you were a son. And so it's important that when Jesus prays this apostolic kingdom minded prayer, he starts off by saying our father, because he wants you to know that if you're going to be in relationship with God, no longer is it you in this far off God in between a Pharisee, a Sadducee and a border director, right? Like I'm going to move all of that out of the way. And I just want to make this easy for you. Our father, wait, not my father, because our relationship with God has to be in community. Come on over here with your isolated self. And you tell everyone you're an introvert. And the truth is, you don't know how to get along with people. The kingdom is community. Look at how quiet it is. See, we don't like this one. Because we want to feel like we don't need anyone. If you see anybody who says, I don't need anyone, just tell them, baby, you're broken. Because you were actually created to need people. You were created to be connected. Can you just say amen so your neighbor doesn't think I'm talking about you? And we struggle with this in our community. And so we like praying my father because we like the, the type of relationship that we have with God individually. But when Jesus prays and teaches them how to pray, he says, it's not just my father. Actually, this is in conglomeration. This is in a, a community that it is our father that we come together, that the kingdom of heaven is not just made of you, that it's made of us. So our father. And then he prays this prayer. Your kingdom come. And your will be done. We like the kingdom come part because when the kingdom come part, that's when we see healing. That's when we see prosperity. That's when we see cancer shrivel up and die. But he doesn't just partner it with your kingdom come. He says your will be done. Oh, look at how quiet it got. Let me talk to the disobedient saints in the room. Because the will of God will cause you to do things that you don't actually like. Because Jesus, when you come into the kingdom, requires that you lay down your will. Come on, I'm going to talk to every board of director in the room tonight because we come with our ideas and our plans and all these different things. But God says, it's not about your will and what you desire. You laid that down at the door of the kingdom. Now it's my kingdom come and my will be done. Somebody look at your neighbor and say that black man's preaching. 
After teaching the people their responsibilities in the kingdom there in chapter 5, Jesus jumps over to chapter 6, and now he begins to teach them about the rights that come with being a kingdom citizen. Because don't let it get full. Because we have people who make vows of poverty. We have people who say that, you know, it's a humble thing to be poor. I have met very prideful people who are poor. I did ministry for two years in the tenderloin full time. And I used to meet people. I remember we were serving sandwiches one time and a guy told me he couldn't eat it because he was on an Atkins diet. (laughs) Sir, you have no house. (laughs) Like you can be a vegan if you have a place to stay. You cannot be on an Atkins. And and just because you don't have money doesn't mean that you're actually humble. And so we, I, I say that because we have this idea that serving the God, serving God means that we have to always suffer. There is suffering in the kingdom. There is suffering in the relationship with God, but there is joy too. Now, come on, we got responsibilities and we got to take care of stuff, but there are rights that come with the kingdom. This is why uh, the David prayed in Psalms 103. He said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Then he said in verse two of 103, he said, bless the Lord, O my soul, watch this, and forget not all of his benefits, who heals my diseases, who delivers me from the pit. He, David says, now be reminded, we're blessing the Lord because he deserves it, but because he has done so much for me, there are benefits that come with it. Now, all the single ladies, don't ever date a man who has a job with no benefits. Get one with benefits. I'm just, I just wanted to see who the single women were. All right. Um, <laughs> thank you, Jesus. I caught you. I saw you. Mental picture. All right. <laughs> Don't distract me. Calm down. Um, so I say this because we have to break this poverty mindset that is really rooted in an orphan spirit. There is an orphan spirit running around the conservative body of Christ that believes that it is more spiritual to only suffer. And so some of you get off on the fact that you can tell people about all the stuff that you're going through all the time. And we don't ever hear a testimony just moaning. If you're serving God at some point, he ought to bring you out of something. Okay, I'm going to talk to you, Lights. If, if, if you serve God long enough, there ought to be something that God brings you out of because God gets glory in the fact that he is a good king, that he provides for you. I heard the preachers, I heard the man of God in the word of God say that I once was young, but I'm now old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken and I've never seen their seed begging bread. He said, I am the head and I'm not the tail. I'm above and I'm not beneath. I'm a lender not to people, but to nations. And I'm not a borrower. That being a kingdom citizen, it doesn't it mean that everything goes right, but there are some things that do go right. Somebody shout, thank you, Jesus. It's important that you realize that with walking with Christ and being a kingdom citizen, you have responsibility. Keep your attitude together. Keep your pee-pee in your pants. Live right. Stop smoking weed. There, y'all, okay, y'all looking real nervous. Let's talk, let's talk straight, because everybody in here lifting hands don't have clean ones. So there are responsibilities, but I would do you a disservice to tell you all the responsibilities, but never tell you the rights that come with the kingdom. Watch what Jesus says in Matthew chapter six. And if you're taking notes, I'm reading from Matthew chapter six, verse 32, or excuse me, Matthew chapter six, verse 26, Matthew 26, or excuse me, Matthew six, verse 26. Here's what Jesus starts teaching. And this is super familiar. You'll even remember this. Look at the birds of the air, for they, ha- they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valued than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add 
one cubit to your stature. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God can so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the the oven, uh, will he not much more clothe you? And then listen to what he says, because he gets to the root of the problem as to why you're struggling to believe that God is able to bless you. Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek for your heavenly father knows that you have need of all these things. Jesus starts telling them, you keep worrying about clothes. You keep worrying about food. But have you seen how I dress the lily of the field? Have you seen what the hummingbird is wearing? Have you seen how the lion is provided for? Have you seen what I do for those who don't, who can't even accept salvation, who can't even give me worship on the degree? If I do that for the animals, what makes you think that I'm going to make you struggling? Let me put it this way in millennial terms. If God will provide for Beyonce, if God will provide for your favorite secular artist, no matter how much they tell you are Christian, uh, but, and, 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 but aren't living a nickel's worth of dog meat. If God will provide for them, what makes you think that God is going to have a hard time providing for your holy self? Come on, I I need you to believe this because some of us pray from this place as if God doesn't want to bless us. And so it's like we got to beg God to bless us. You don't have to beg God to bless him. All you have to do is ask. As a matter of fact, there are some things that you don't even have to ask for. Thank you. Two claps and a muted amen. There, There are some things that you don't even have to ask God for because he already knows that you have need of it. And so Jesus spends all these verses explaining to the disciples and his followers that, listen, stop worrying about where you're going to find your clothes and all the pressures of life. I've got you provided for because you're a kingdom, you're a kingdom kid. But this is what he says after he says that whole spiel about how he closed everything. Then verse 33 comes and he says, what I want you to worry about is seek first the kingdom of God. Watch this. And all these things will be added unto you. See, as a citizen of the kingdom of God, yeah, you have responsibilities, but you also have rights. And in the kingdom, you will be taken care of. You don't have to worry about all the stuff like the food, the clothes, the shelter. This is how we land on Matthew chapter 633, because Jesus has to spend 10 verses explaining to them. I take care so well of so much stuff that is lesser than you. You're more valuable than they are. And what makes you think that I'm not going to take care of you? I will take care of you. Then he says in 633, now just seek first the kingdom of God. See, but can we deal with something? Many of the reasons why we don't prioritize the king and his kingdom simply boils down to the fact that we don't believe that if we seek God first, that all these things will follow. (sighs) See, we don't believe that if we put the kingdom of God first, that he's going to take care of our business, that he's going to take care of our ministry. I'll never forget, I used to be a youth pastor before the Lord delivered me. And when I was a youth pastor, I used to preach these messages and I used to get in trouble because, you know, uh, regular Christians, they just want like a 35-minute inspirational talk, a PowerPoint. Uh, my buddy Mario Marillo says the PowerPoint has no power or point. Um, 
And, and just like we're more excited about the fellowship after church than we are about actually being in the service. And people used to get upset with me because we'd have worship for like an hour. We have people here who come and say, man, I'm going to come 30, 40 minutes late because worship is just too long. You might as well go to hell. Heaven's going to be way longer than that. <laughs> oh, somebody's going to church tomorrow. I'm going to get in trouble. Somebody's going to church. Pastor told me you go to hell. <laughs> Uh, and, and they used to come to me, and I remember one person came to me and said, because I used to, these parents used to get really upset because any youth pastor in here, you know, the hardest part about youth ministry is not the kids, it's their parents. Amen. Because most parents don't want godly kids, they want good kids. Yeah, good kids, they get good grades, they marry a good person of the same good race. They go to a good college, get a good job, have a good dog, and, and, and die at a good church. But godly kids might wake you up at 3 in the morning praying and interceding for their high school. Godly kids might walk, will come in watching you watch the have and have nots and all the other nasty television shows that you watch and live in compromise over and say, Mama, I thought we weren't supposed to be watching that. See, we don't want real godly kids. Godly kids might, might stop you and your, de- your husband from, from fussing because she knows that that's not God. Godly kids are different. Godly kids might not want to be an engineer. They might want to be a missionary. See, most, uh, most parents in church don't really want godly kids. They want good kids. And so parents used to come to me, and I remember they used to get so mad. They used to stand in the back of the service. You know, God forbid service go two minutes over time. I, I used to watch parents come and pull their kids up from the altar while their kids were weeping. Now, <laughs> I'm not a violent man, and I will never hit a woman, but I might push one. It, it used to, it, okay, sorry, I might mush one, a gentle push. <laughs> I'll never hit a woman, might mush you. Um, because I couldn't understand, because here's the problem. When your little demon is smoking weed and acting a fool at 13, you have no problem as long as he's going to school and having good grades. But when Lucifer comes back to, and doesn't want to go to church at 21, you want to bring him to my service begging me to lay hands on him. I'm not laying hands on him. You should have had him in VBS. Oh, no, he had school. How's that working out? You got a dumb, you got a smart kid going straight to hell. Some of you, this is your first time at Collide. It's not getting better than this. I I never could understand. We have all these people. You know why? Because we have this, this God of academia. Because we want people to be smart. And I'm, I'm down with, because God, listen, I've been doing ministry 15 years. I have worked with a lot of stupid Christians. We don't need any more. Please go to school. But don't ever let school get over-prioritized from the kingdom of God. How, da- how dare you, how dare you sit in the back of a powerful service with your arms crossed like Apostle Paul owes you a favor, waiting for your kids to get out of service so that you can get to the buffet before the other Christians do. What, what, what do you have more important than what's happening in their life right here? Johnny is five foot four. He's not making it to the NBA. But you got him all in basketball practice thinking that that's going to be his career move. He is five foot five. Okay. And I remember one time somebody came to me and said, Pastor Dell, aren't you, aren't you scared of losing your job? Because that's how a lot of pastors live. A lot of pastors live, they have more fear of the board than they have of the Lord. Man, this isn't going to be one of those CDs that gets sold a lot tonight, Andrew. And, and we have more fear because why? And here's why. 
Because most of us who are in ministry, we perform for a group of people so that we could get in. And when you perform for a people to get a particular position, you have to continue to perform for them so that they will keep you in. But for those of us, all four and a half of us that didn't want to be in ministry, we wanted to go out, have sex and do business. But yet God called us out and we didn't want it. And we said no for 15 years. Okay, I got three witnesses. I'm going to find my remnant. There's a few of us that said we want to go live out in the world and have our own way. But God snatched you and called you and you realize that if God set you in a place, God's the only one that you have to please and perform for. Sid, aren't you scared? Listen, I didn't want to be here. I don't know how to work with youth. I don't even like kids. But it was God who called me here. I feel like encouraging somebody. If it was God who called you, can I give you good news? It's going to be God who keeps you. He's going to keep you when the board doesn't like you. He's going to keep you when the parents can't stand you. He's going to keep you when the church laughs at you. He's going to keep you when the second row mocks you. God is the one who's going to keep you. Somebody shall preach, black man. So even in ministry, a lot of us don't prioritize the kingdom because we don't believe that God will take care of us if we seek him first. I used to go to this pastor job. I preached my heart out. Because I knew that if they fired me, I still wasn't going to be hurt because you are not my provider. If you give an offering or not, the kingdom is not going under. If you get to heaven, you know what he thinks about gold in, in heaven? It's cement. God has, God has no work. And if he'll take care of, of all the rest of the hellions on MTV, I know that God will take care of me. So if that's the case, I can obey him and trust him because I know he'll take care of us. But many of us in this room, we're struggling to prioritize the kingdom of God because we don't really believe that all these things will follow after. Amen. So God says, um, give up your boyfriend. And we don't give up the boyfriend because we don't believe that God's going to heal us from loneliness if we give him up. God says, okay, watch this one. I'm about to lose half the crowd right now. God says tithe. Look at that cuss word. And most of us are struggling to tithe because we don't believe that God's going to take care of our rent if we bless his house first. Look at how agitated your whole soul just got. You got to understand God will take care of you if you obey him. We don't, God tells you to serve in the church, but we don't want to serve in the church because what if we don't have enough time to dedicate to our career? God says, go on a mission trip. Well, what if it's not safe? I remember kids, you said, coming to me, we do all these mission trips. Our team is going to South Africa this week. And I just hate these questions. People come up to you and say, well, is it safe? No. None of your Christianity is supposed to be safe. I'm giving you a lot to tweet tonight. Let me give you some good news. When Jesus said all these things, I looked up the word all. In the original Greek, it means all. He didn't say some of these things, a few of these things. He said, if you seek me first, all these things will be added unto you. See, you have to learn how to trust that God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. This is why the last commandment, God tells you not to covet any of your brother's belongings. Why? Because God says, I'm going to provide for you what you need in this journey that it's going to take for you to establish my kingdom. And so you're looking at sister so-and-so and brother watermelon, and you're coveting what they got, but you don't realize that 
that Brother Watermelon needs what he has to be able to establish the kingdom. All you're supposed to be doing is focusing on your race and trust that God's going to give you what you need. Stop getting mad at people who have more stuff than you. Some of you don't even know what comes with more stuff. You're praying for a business, but you don't know about the employees that, are, that can embezzle you from your business. Some of you are praying for a big ministry, but you don't understand what it's like to lead people. Do you know how hard it is to pastor you? Do you know you show up 20 minutes late, leave 30 minutes early, you don't tithe, you're the loudest complainer. And I got to pretend like I like you on Sunday. But you want to be in leadership. We can't even get you to serve three weeks on an usher board without you needing a sabbatical because you're going through. Yeah, right. I, I feel the Holy Ghost. We can't get you to serve in the PowerPoint because there's no limelight there. Never seen such a weak, apathetic group of people who think they're the greatest generation in the world. You, you're ready to give up the race if 40 people don't like your Instagram post. The the problem with this generation is that we aren't really doing the stuff that we're doing for the kingdom. I love to hear people come into the Bay Area and say, man, God called me to the Bay Area. Tell me more. Because I know in the back of my head, you're going to be here for about two and a half years. Because you're going to realize that it financially costs more to live here than it does in your little Bible Belt, Colorado. And people come in and God gives them a big plan. And then two years later, they're up and out somewhere else. And I'm like, "What what, what about the word of the Lord? Because most of us come to do things that will make us look great, not that will make the kingdom great. Look at your neighbor and say, he's preaching to you. See, I, I, I have learned that if I seek, not just seek the kingdom of God, but if I seek the kingdom of God first, everything that I need. I don't know if you know this, um, but when I preach, and I don't, I don't say this a lot, but when I preach... The majority, over 90% of my honorariums go straight back into this ministry so that we can do stuff. Now, listen, I'm telling you that for a point, not to sound noble, but over 90%. And if you look at the amount of finances that comes into our ministry and that comes into my personal account, it does not make sense that I'm able to survive in the Bay Area. I'm going to give you a side view. Does it look like I'm starving? (laughs) I struggle with a lot of things. Anorexia has never been one of them. The Lord has always made a way. Come on, somebody say dollar menu. We got, <laughs> and we have this fear because in reality, we don't trust the character of the king. And so God, I, you know, I don't really know if you're trustworthy, but need I remind you his resume? Need I remind you that he pulled a people who were not a people and made them a people. And when they spent 400 years in Egypt's land, he delivered them with a strong hand. Can I remind you that he was a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day? Can I remind you they had Nikes that never wore out and food that was provided every single day. And in case you were gluten free, he brought quail so that you could have quail every day. Can I remind you that they crossed over the Red Sea and somebody told me, well, the Red Sea was only three feet tall. Well, it's amazing to me because they crossed over the Red Sea and and then the enemies of the, of the Israelites, the Egyptians, came through that same Red Sea. And if it was three feet, isn't it amazing how God can drown your enemies in three feet of water? I, okay, I feel like shouting. Need I remind you? Okay, that's Israel. Let me remind you of your stuff, of how stuck up you were and how insecure you were and how full of fear and the addictions and the bondages that God made. Can I remind you that God is not, re- his resume is not short of a miracle. That if God, watch this, watch this. 
Here's the part that makes me laugh. Because if you read from the Old Testament all the way to the book of maps, you will see that God in every battle that he has ever fought, he has never failed. And you think that he's waiting until 2018 so he could tell little Johnny, I don't know if I could pay your rent this month. You think God's going to wait for you to fail? Let me look back at my notes. If they don't say amen, move on. Okay. Uh, See, here's what you have to realize. Why does God want to be first? Because whatever is first in your life is really what you worship. Whatever has first place in your heart and in your life is what you have primarily decided to worship. And I know this message is going to offend a lot of you guys. It's all right. You go to a church where you never get offended, so it'll balance out. Um, the, The word of God needs to offend you. Because a lot of you don't like the idea that really God has to be first. Because whatever you put first is what you worship. And and here's the deal. God is not insecure. He's God. God has no need. God does not need your worship. Because watch this. If you were to shut up tonight, the Bible says he'd have rocks cry out in your place. Okay, you don't believe me. Come on over to Genesis and I'll talk to you. Before even the rocks could cry out, Jesus, God rather every day start creating stuff. And when there was nobody else to praise him, he looked around and said, well, you know, God, good job. It is good. God is so bad that he don't need you to praise you because he'll praise himself. That's how good he is. God doesn't need your worship. That's why you all never be impressed with the gifts that you have to offer the Lord. You see worship leaders come down from a pulpit after leading worship with their nose higher than their hands were lifted. And they think that they've done something. Let me tell you, baby, God's got angels upon angels that have never missed a key. Okay, preacher, you're so impressed and people are impressed with your preaching. But why would God be impressed with your preaching when the Bible says he is the word? God is not impressed with you and he has no need for you but here is the good news he wants you do you do you know how good it feels to be wanted come on over here with your bitter single self do you know how good it feels to be wanted that you didn't need the worst relationship you can have is the one that's based solely on need because I don't have another choice but to put up with your attitude but God says I'll put up with your stank attitude and I don't even need you but I do want you some of you think, oh, yeah, I just chose God. Stop telling people you chose God. You don't make good choices. You're all, let's look at your ex-boyfriends. We can tell that you don't make good choices. <sighs> Say amen or ouch, one of the two. <laughs> the church that you're in shows me that you don't make good choices, right? You, 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 some of us don't make good choices. And you think you have the authority, the power, and the intelligence to choose God. No, baby, he chose you. Well, he must be Calvinist or is he Arminian? No, I'm common sense. That, that he chose me. I found God. He's not lost. You were lost. I'm encouraging somebody. Because, and, and here's the beauty of that. But the Bible says that he is omniscient, that he knows everything from the end, from the beginning. He's alpha and omega. He's beginning and the end. He knows the end from the beginning. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the first and the last. He's all these things. He has never been caught on. He's not Jehovah surprise. He's not El surprise. He's Jehovah Jireh. Like God has never been shocked. And here's the good news about that, that God knew how nasty and perverted you were going to be. And he still chose you. Some of you can't clap because it's been so long since you've been drunk. But need I remind you, you weren't always a deacon. 
Need I remind you, he chose you and knew that you would be a failure. God's always investing in the wrong people. And the good news of the gospel. (laughs) The good news of the kingdom is that he didn't look for the qualified. He qualified for the ones he called. (laughs) So glad he picked me. I'm glad he picked me when I didn't have, when I didn't have enough strength to pick him. He picked me. Can you just one time for the Holy ghost, just give the Lord a thank you clap just to say, thank you for picking me. So if God is not insecure, why is God all about this business about first? Give me 15 minutes in Jesus name. I got to declare that prophesy because hopefully I can finish this in 15 minutes. If God is not insecure, why is God desiring to be first in your life or be recognized as first in your life? I want to give you, if you're taking notes for the three of you who are, I want to give you two reasons why God wants to be primary and he wants to be prioritized in your life. Number one, God is the only entity that can handle the weight of being worship and being first. Nothing else in your life can handle being first. I'm trying to get better with these illustrations because it's making me look more spiritual. I don't know what this is. I'm not even going to guess. Fifty shades of gray. I ain't read the book. You watch the movie. Don't get mad at me. See, because here's the deal. See, God wants to be first because really understand something. Worship is weighty. That it, 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 there's weight to worship. Uh, Worship is spiritually tangible. No, that seems like an oxymoron. This is why he says you can put on the garments of praise. There's something spiritually tangible. So you got to understand that there's weight, but here's the deal. This, this represents the boy you're dating right now. And this, yeah, yeah. Thousand jokes going through my head. None of them appropriate, but, but this is your little boyfriend that you're dating right now. The one that you keep prioritizing, you put first. And how do you know that you keep putting him first? Because everything you do, it's in recognition of him. And so you're going to go to a college that's close to him. You're going to go to a church that he goes to. And it's all about him. And so here's your little boyfriend. Because you're so in love, 15 years old. He just grew a hair under his arm. And y'all in love. He has a C in English, can't even spell love. But y'all in love. You're not in lust, you're in lust. Okay, I feel an anointing to encourage a 13-year-old girl. He does not love you, he lusts you. He likes the way your skin is stretched over your skeleton frame. I'm a preach, I got this. No, because I've been a pastor long enough and I'm sick of it. I'm sick of us pretending like we put God first when in reality, this little dumb boy is first. And so you can't go to retreat because y'all are going on family vacation with his family. What? What? Okay, I'm talking to the high school student. Let me talk to some of your adults because some of you are thinking I'm just talking to you because you and your little boyfriend, because now that y'all are 30 years old and grown, y'all going on vacation together, staying in the same hotel room. <laughs> look at, look at, all the parents was with me for like two minutes. They're like, I like this guy. Now that I'm talking about you, come back, come back. And everything that you do, you will actually, you will actually think of God in his kingdom second and think of this little boy. And so what happens is you'll never say that you worship him, but your behavior does because you've placed your boyfriend first. And so you're worshiping him. And you know why God says don't worship him? Because whatever you worship, that's not him. You'll destroy. 
And so here it is, and, and you, he's broken, you're broken, you've lost your virginity. And because you prioritized each other over the Lord, you broke each other. Okay, y'all didn't like that one. Let me try a different one. This one's your job. Yeah, the career you prayed for God to give you. And now that he gave it to you, you don't have any time to serve in the house of the Lord. <laughs> when I was preparing my notes, Mishi, I thought, I, I'm going to hear a lot of amens right here. I, yeah. <laughs> and, so, and so everything that you do is, and here's the funny part. You start going through, people come to me, and, and people who never come to church on Sunday because you got to work on Sundays. Look at, ooh, it's, <laughs> don't worry, we got people in here who are carrying. I ain't scared. <laughs> and and, and, and you, you got the job after God, quote, unquote, blessed you, even though the Bible says the blessing of the Lord maketh rich and addeth no sorrow. And now you're, you're estranged from the house of God. You can't serve. You don't tithe based off a job that you said the Lord blessed you with. And so everything that you do is incorrect. And so we can't get you to go on a mission trip because you've picked a job, picked, uh, picked a job that isn't flexible enough. Or, or watch this. You, take, you use your vacation time so that you can go to Vegas when you could have used it for a mission trip. So I, mean, I, I hear you. I'm, I'm, come on. You're not going to like me. It's all right. And what happens is you begin to worship the job and you end up crushing it. So now you don't like your employer. Can't stand your employees because you put this first. Well, come on, Dale. You know, even if I put the Lord first, I could still not like my job. Not when you're a kingdom citizen because now you pick the job because God told you to go to the job. And so it's not a job. It's a ministry. And so now you don't get mad at your employer because he's broken and you want to love and pray for him. When's, come on, come on over here. When's the last time you prayed for your coworker? When's the last time you prayed for that one at your job that you don't like? Can I get any more grapes in here? <laughs> this one right here is for all the people in ministry. This is your ministry preeminence. And here's the tricky part with this one. You can make ministry first and actually think that you're making the kingdom first. I don't know why I feel a petty anointing, but I do. You, and, and so, and here's the tricky part, because everybody thinks that you're kingdom minded, but truth is you're ministry minded. And so you prepare sermons to impress people, not to change people. You, you, your leadership is about making sure people get in the pews next week, not about making sure they get in heaven. And what happens is you are such an overlord of your ministry and putting it first that you have now crushed the very thing that God was going to use you to bless an entire generation. So God says all the stuff that you have put first, when you have prioritized and chosen to worship it, you will actually crush that thing because there is only one entity that is able to hold the weight of worship. The weight of devotion. Because some of us have been devoted to things that will not matter in a hundred years. So God says, this is God. This is the best I could do with God. This is God. Here's the deal. You will never be overly devoted to the Lord. Because he can handle your devotion. He can handle the attention that you give to him. You will, you will never spend five hours with the Lord and think, I spent too much time with Jesus. Yeah. 
Because only the Lord can handle the weight of the worship. So God is not saying for you to prioritize him in his kingdom because he's insecure and he needs your worship. He's trying to get you to stop destroying the things that he sent in your life to be a blessing to you. Okay, you didn't like point one. Let me give you point two and then we're going to get out of here. The other reason why God wants you to prioritize his kingdom, watch this, is because God is the only one, not that can just hold the weight of worship, but he is the, he's the only one who deserves it. <laughs> Let me give you this revelation. The Ten Commandments, if you turn to Exodus chapter 20 or write it down, Exodus chapter 20, I saw something the other day, Eric, that I was preparing for this message, changed me, made me tear up in the middle of preparing. I read the commandments my whole life, all of Exodus 20, and this is the first time, Pastor John, that I've ever seen this because I've always gotten straight to the commandment in verse three. Cause when you start with verse three, here's what the Lord says. You shall have no other God before me. And that's the first commandment. But if you miss verse one and verse two of Exodus chapter 20, you miss the foundation that he laid to give you the commandments. What are you talking about? Here's what Exodus 20 verse one and two says. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord, your God. Who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then he says, you shall have no other God. Now, something does not. I was an AP English student, had good grades, and I understand English. Something about this, Gail, doesn't seem to match up. You're talking about coming out of Egypt, and now you're giving us commandments. This doesn't seem to correlate unless you realize that God is saying, I'm the only one who came. When you were bound for 400 years, eating leeks and melons and being whipped on your back to make the, the what the Egyptians wanted you to make. I was the only one that when you cried out, my ear was not too heavy that I could not hear and my arm not too short that I couldn't reach. So he tells Moses, because those little idiots down at the bottom of the mountain are throwing all of their jewelry into that little little fire and they're making a calf. But the calf didn't come for them. They're invested in their job and invested in all these different things and being a good mom and all this stuff. But I need them to know their job didn't deliver them from Egypt. So why does God say have no other God before me in verse three? Because he was the only God that came. And I don't know if you can remember what Egypt looked like for you. But if it was your job. That brought you to where you are now. Then worship it. Give your job all the glory. But God says to Moses. Remind my people. That I am the Lord your God. And I'm the one who brought you out. So watch this. Because this is called the Mosaic Covenant. The word covenant is not a word that references rules. It's a word that references relationships. So what God is really telling Moses is that I long to be in relationship with you, but I'm sick of you cheating on me. <laughs> I'm sick of you sleeping around. I'm sick of you looking at the, 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 the Philistines and the Jebusites and all the other ites, the cellulites, and looking at them, seeing what, <laughs> seeing what they have. Because you know that's how the Israelites got judges, right? You know that's how they got kings. 
The children of Israel looked around to the surrounding nations and said, well, they got, they got judges. They got kings. We want kings. And God says, if you get kings, your sons and daughters are going to be slaughtered, all this other stuff. And you're coveting what everybody else has. But that's not what I have for you. So God says, to him, I'm sick of you cheating on me. So here's what I want to tell you. If we're going to be in a covenant, Moses, you tell my people have no other lover. No, no, no. You didn't hear me. He didn't say have another lover that you love less. He said, have no other lover. He said, have no other God. Because imagine, imagine, I, you know, I'm not married, but I can dream. And imagine you're married, you get married. And the only reason that your husband does not cheat on you is because he's afraid of the law. That's not love. See, what love is, is that I don't cheat on you because I love you. And so what God is setting up here. Okay, I'm going to help you out. The Ten Commandments are not commandments. They're wedding vows. <laughs> Where God says, if we're going to be in covenant, we're going to be in relationship, you can't cheat on me. You can't go around lying and stealing and call yourself a citizen of the kingdom. You can't go around having other gods and then have them before me because I'm on, I am first, I am primary, I am preeminent. Amen. Just about done here. Are you getting something tonight? This started bothering me in my soul because I know my God to be a good God. And so I know that he's not giving me the commandments just because he requires obedience to secure him. I know he's requiring obedience because he wants relationship with me. So I jumped over to the New Testament in John chapter 14, verses 5 and 6. And Jesus begins to have a conversation, Eric, with his disciples. And he begins to tell them, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Watch this. No man comes to the Father except for by me. Now, Jesus has just finished teaching how to get to the Father in heaven. And he's telling them, you can't get to the Father in heaven unless you go through me, Jesus. Now, you kind of think that Jesus is being boastful and he's trying to have this prideful attitude. But if God requires you to be humble, you can believe that it's because he carries the same characteristics. And we know Jesus to be humble because his birth, he's born in the barn at the backside of a hotel. If I was God... I dare you to tell me there's no room. Blow this whole hotel up. Is there room now? But we've seen the humility of Christ even since his birth. And so he's not sitting here boasting, saying, I'm the only way, the truth, and life. Here's what he's telling the disciples. Just like God told them that nobody else came for you in Egypt, when you were trying to make your way to the Father in heaven, nobody else was coming for you. Go ahead, call Buddha. Because he's on somebody's desk. Go ahead, call Muhammad. He's in a grave that they can't find. Go ahead and call everybody else that you want to. But nobody else is coming. I'm the only one who's coming. I am the way and I am the truth and the life. So God is telling the children of Israel, I'm the only one that came. And Jesus is telling the Israelites, I'm the only one who's coming. And still you choose another God? You're still struggling with tithing. You're still struggling with serving. After all the nights you used to wake up from the drug overdoses with throw up around your lips, you're still struggling with serving me. With all the people that you woke up next to and couldn't remember their name, you're still struggling. All the STDs you should have had and you're still, I'm the only one who came for you and you're still struggling. 
The fact that he even has to say, have no other God before me. Wow. I'm done here. Last point. Three things. Watch this. That I've recognized Pastor John as a pastor for 15 years in full-time ministry. There are three things that I have recognized that get in the way of Americans prioritizing the kingdom. Is it all right if I give you these three things? Number one, it's relationships. Not just boyfriend, girlfriend relationship, not just having, but even family relationships. Do you know how many people that I have watched find a job because their parents wanted them to get it? When the Lord called them to do something else. And I'm a, is it okay if you walk with me outside of the book of Psalms and into some really heavy teaching tonight? Because we think that Jesus is this blind-haired, blue-eyed, metrosexual with a six-pack selling, I can't believe it's not butter on a cross. And you don't realize that God is, Jesus came way more fierce than you. We pretend him to be on our felt boards in children's church. That he didn't come to be a cute little savior. The Bible says he came with a sword in his hand to, to set asunder mother and, father, uh, mother and son, father and son, rather. So, so Jesus says in Matthew chapter 8, verse 21 and 22, one of his disciples says, hey, um, Jesus, here's the deal. I'm down with following you. I want to go all the way. But one of my parents just died and I need to go bury them. <laughs> Quote. Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Jesus. Pastor Jesus, come on. I mean, just be realistic. I'm not asking you for, you know, see, I, I, I left everything. I was a fisherman. I had a good business. My mama told me not to go with you because she said you were crazy and that your cousin John is all eating locusts and honey. And he said your whole family is wild and that your mama slept around and blamed it on God. And I was go and I was here. I had your back. I've been donating to your ministry. And all I want to do is go bury my father. I want to go bury my parents. And you're telling me that I can't even bury. But watch what, watch what the disciple says to Jesus when he asked him. Je- he says this to Jesus. He says, Lord Let me first go and bury my father. (laughs) And we think, especially as leaders, that we are supposed to sympathize and empathize, even though it sounds noble, to allow people to choose their family over God because we don't want to hurt their feelings. See, this is why I get in trouble when people don't invite me to youth conferences anymore because young people come to me and say, Pastor Dell, the Lord spoke to me to do this, but my parents don't want me to do it. Like, what should I do? The, the Lord, the one who sits high and looks low, the, the one to whom has no enemies and has no contender, the one who spoke the worlds into existence, the Lord, the one to whom when you mention his names, waves crash and mountains melt. The Lord, the one whom the devil still gets scared of, the Lord told you to do something. And you want to know if your midlife crisis, menopause having mother is, has greater authority in your life than the Lord. And I'm sick of it. 
I'm sick of us preaching messages that allow people to compromise because we don't want them to leave their church. Baby, I'd rather you be offended with me down here than to get up to the judgment seat and be offended with me up there because I never told you the truth. I tell you, if you don't come next month, it's all right with me. Next month, we're preaching more truth than we preach this month. We're going to tell people that it's God first and everything after. I don't care how much she, how good she looks, how well your family has taken care of you. I have a friend and I won't tell his story because I didn't ask permission, but I have a friend uh, from San Diego and this friend of mine, he has very wealthy parents and he felt the call of the Lord to do this music and all this other stuff. And he'd been wrestling with it for a long time. And you know what he finally did? He finally decided that he was going to prioritize the kingdom in his life. So he sat down with his parents and said, cut me off. See, here's the problem with this generation. We are serving a bunch of Jezebel like parents. Okay, let me talk to you about Jezebel because Jezebel don't want to wear a dress and Jezebel isn't on your board of directors. Let me tell you what Jezebel does. The Bible says that Jezebel would hire prophets so that the prophets would prophesy what she wanted them to prophesy. Because what Jezebel will do will use money to manipulate you to do her will instead of God's will. And some of your parents have a Jezebel-like spirit. And they tell you, if you don't do what I said, I'm not going to supply you financially. I'd rather be homeless. On the streets of San Francisco, obeying the voice of God, than I would be sitting in the biggest house at home with mother and father. What? A, okay. Some of you don't realize that in following God, he's actually going to use that to heal and reconcile the relationship you have with your parents. Okay. That was number one. I got two more and then we're out of here. The second thing that I found that gets in the way of people seeking first the kingdom of God after relationships is time. I don't have time. It's funny. I don't have time. Young people tell me I don't have time to spend with God. Old folks tell me I don't have time. Yeah, I believe when we get to heaven, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram are going to be witnesses in the court of your salvation. And they're going to prove that you had time. You don't have time. No, no, no. You don't. You have time. You have not prioritized time. You, you know, uh, the commandment we never preach on Pastor John Sabbath. Because we as pastors, we don't know what to do with that one. We actually have to take a whole day to stop working and do nothing. Let me tell you, oh, I'm going to mess you up because some of you have never heard this before. God messed me up because I'm sitting there going, God, of all the stuff that you could have. Did you just add that one in so you have an even number? And here's what the Lord told me. I'm requiring my people to have time because I want, I'm requiring my people to have Sabbath because I want to see, do you trust me with your time? That if you completely stop, that I can do more with the time that you dedicate to me than the day that you would have spent working your whole life. Come on, come on, smart kids, come with me. Watch this. Because Sabbath to the Israel, I went to Israel a couple years uh, back And Sabbath is crazy. When they say do nothing, they mean do nothing. There are whole elevators that are called Sabbath elevators where they stop on every level because they don't even want to touch buttons. It is that serious because to the Israelites, the Sabbath was not just about rest. The Sabbath is about having a 24 hour period that is dedicated completely to the Lord. So God says every seventh day, separate time because I want to test you in the area of time. Will you set it apart and seek me first? 
When's the last time you didn't have time, but you made time? God didn't like that one. Maybe you'll like the third one. Worship team, help me make it sound romantic so that this one will go down easier. First one is relationships. That's what gets in the way. Girlfriends and boyfriends and church relationships. And some of us, if we got a different small group, we'd actually do something for the Lord. The second thing is time. This issue about time and not having enough time. Truth is, you have time. You got 24 hours every day. Will you choose to make time? What would happen if you laid down your Netflix account? What would happen if you gave up Hulu for a little bit and you actually chose to spend time with the Lord? But you know the third thing that gets in the way, Michael, a buddy from North Carolina? You know what's the third thing that I've seen in ministry that gets in the way of people seeking first the kingdom of God? This thing about money. <laughs> Go ahead, zip up your Bibles, close your purse, and you know, get out before the service is over because I'm going to talk about money. Because this is where we struggle, especially in America. I've been in the mud huts of the Philippines. I'll be there this December. And I've spent time in what they call Rat City. Because when you go there, half all the kids have half an ear because the rats come and nibble off their ear at night. And I've spent time there. And I've seen Christians in poverty. And it actually takes, sometimes, the amount of money that you have to procure is the reason why you don't have joy. This issue about money. God deals with this whole issue about money in chapter 13 of Exodus because he introduces this principle called the tithe. Now, your whole life you've been told that the tithe is 10%, but that's only partially true. The tithe is not simply 10%. It's not just a tenth of what you have. The tithe, according to scripture, is the first 10%. Don't worry, I hear you. I got scripture for you. We'll walk this thing through. Because in Exodus chapter 13, God introduces the tithe. And he says to the children of Israel, he says, um, you have these donkeys and these donkeys are unclean. So what I want you to do is I want you to take the first male donkey that's born and I want you to break its neck. Because when you break the neck of the first donkey, that tithe that you offer to me is going to redeem those rest of those donkeys that are unclean. Are you with me? So you have these donkeys that are unclean. If you want to see them redeemed, kill the very first one, which is your tithe. And God says, I'll redeem all of the rest of them that are unclean. This started sounding familiar as I read this, and then it hit me. God is a tither. What are you talking about, Dell? See, in the New Testament, we read John chapter 316 and it makes us feel good, but we don't realize that that is a declaration of the tithe of heaven. What do you mean? You and I were unclean. We were unredeemed. Look how cute you were. You were going straight to hell just like I was. But God said what I'm going to do is the principle that I've been foreshadowing in the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament points to Christ and the New Testament reveals Christ. And so you've been tithing generation after generation so that you could recognize the Messiah when he lays down his life for all the other sons that... Jesus, the Bible says, is the firstborn of many. 
Do you understand why you and I are saved? It's because God was not afraid to tithe. (laughs) I know I'm not shouting. I know I'm not hooping. I'm not running all over the place. I was asking the Lord. I was saying to the Lord, how do I end this thing? How do I bring this message to a close? And he said, Dale, you're going to have to deal with the issue of money. Because more than anything in the Bay Area, we have this spirit of mammon that runs rampant. And we worship money. There is a spirit specifically that runs from San Francisco. Why do you think it's so hard to afford to live here? Why do you think ministries can't afford to be birthed out of this place? Because the enemy knows that if he can crutch your finances, he can get you to do less in the kingdom. In 1903, there was a group of revivalists who came to San Francisco. You can check this out in church history. They came to San Francisco and they began to declare that there was a new revival and a movement that was coming. And there was a reverend named Bob who rejected the move of God and got a group of pastors at that time to kick these revivalists out of the city. These revivalists went down to Los Angeles. And in 1906, those revivalists helped to spur what we know as the Azusa Street Revival. Wow. Watch this. But in 1906, when Azusa got came to L.A. and L.A. got the revival fire. In 1906, San Francisco got one of the greatest fires and earthquakes the city has ever seen where every building was broken, except for one. You could look this up. There was one building that remained standing during that 1906 earthquake and fire. You want to know which building it was? It was the Mint. In case you don't know, the Mint is where money is made. As I began to think about this message, I went back to Exodus chapter 13, Pastor John. And when God begins to teach Moses to teach people how to tithe, this is what God says in Exodus 13. And you can go and see it for yourself. God says, when you go tell the children of Israel about tithing, you tell them that I am the Lord who delivered them with a strong, mighty hand out of Egypt. And then you tell them that I'm going to redeem every unclean thing in their land if they will offer me the first one. But here's what he tells them. I want them to be motivated by the fact that I brought them out. You know why we struggle with money, with time, with relationships and laying these things down? Because we have a memory problem. We forget what it was like before we met Jesus. Can I remind you for a second? Come on, look at me. Can I remind you for a second what it was like to live in Egypt? Can I remind you the bondage that you dealt with and that you struggled with because you lived in Egypt and God, even when you didn't want anything to do with you, some of you used to get high and all you would have is visions of Jesus. Because he was trying to bring you out with a mighty strong hand. You think you chose God? You didn't even want to go to church tiptoeing at 3 a.m. back in the house. And all you could hear is grandmama praying at the top of her voice saying, Lord, bring him home. Lord, save him. Lord, touch him. What was that? That was God bringing with his mighty hand you out of Egypt. Listen, I know you're a pastor now and a worship leader and you got it all together and you're a leader in the church. But can I remind you that before you were a preacher, you were a prostitute? Can I remind you that before you were a deacon, you were addicted? Can I remind you that before you even wanted anything to do with God, he wanted... You tell Israel! I delivered them with a strong, mighty hand. And so if I ask them to redeem the unclean thing with their firstborn, you tell them to do it. Wait, bring it down, team. 
And here's the part that bothers me. Because God, when the children of Israel were in Egypt, killed the firstborn of the Egyptians. Killed the firstborn of their animals. But when it came to Israel, he restored them. But he says in Exodus chapter 13 in the text, he says, tell the children of Israel, either you kill the animal or you break its neck. What is he saying? He's he's saying, either you offer that thing to me, but either way it's going to have to die because I will have nothing else before me. I'm done here. 17 years old. A little insecure kid. Some of you don't know my story. I was four years old when my mom died. Around that same time, my dad left our family. Left me two older siblings, one younger brother, four of us. To be raised by an abusive woman. Was beaten my whole life. Would go to school with bruises over my body. And the teacher would say, how did that get there? And I'd lie and say, that's because me and my brother were fighting. Because I was too embarrassed to tell her that last night I dropped a spoon on the floor. My grandmother was so angry that she beat me until I was black and blue. Around eight years old for two years, molested. By the time I get into middle school, I am not just depressed, I am suicidal. Tried to commit suicide twice. The second time I tried to commit suicide, I had taken so many pills and I thought for sure I would die. And I woke up hours later in my bathroom with throw up everywhere. Because even when you try to kill you, but God has his hand on you. I remember getting up from that floor after taking all those pills and feeling like an idiot because I couldn't even be successful at killing myself. around that same time that I'd give my heart uh, later on uh, I'd start preaching around 13 and I was still struggling struggling with sexual immorality so that by the time I was in 7th and 8th grade I had such an incredible porn addiction that I had stolen over $10,000 to pay for my pornographic addiction the porn addiction grew from just heterosexuality to now struggling with homosexuality to the point oh I don't know if I mentioned this part the whole time born and raised in church in the choir on the leadership team or on the worship team praying started preaching when I was 13 and still bound in Egypt going to revival meetings, attending collide services, and hoping that the prophet doesn't look me in my eyes so he doesn't see that I'm actually struggling beyond this praise. The time I get in 10th grade, I've had sex with over 200 men. I've sold my body, prostituted it. I was scared. I had STDs. The Lord set me free. And I remember sitting in a little revival meeting, something like this, and I was about two or three rows down from the church I grew up in, and a man named Pastor Bagwell from Denver, Colorado, came down and called me out and gave me the first public prophecy that I'd ever given. And he said to me, man of God, you've been called to the nations. God called you to this generation, but you've forsaken your inheritance for a bowl of porridge. I can't tell you what he preached that night. I can't tell you what the worship team sang. But I can tell you that when he laid hands on me and I went out under the spirit of God, it felt like Jesus had gone to Walgreens and bought a bucket of bleach and walked into my heart and washed out the walls of my heart. Listen, and I know what it means for a black in the heart to be dipped in red blood and come out white as snow. I know what it means to be delivered and set free. So much show that Jesus sets you free from the shame and you get up. And and the, the scariest thing you could ever do is get free around religious people. If you ever want to scare church people, the next time they ask you how you're doing, tell them. Got up from that altar and weeks later people would come to me and say, Pastor, or I wasn't Pastor Dell. Was, uh, they used to call me by my middle name. And he said, Pierre, how you doing? Don't you ever call me by my middle name. They used to call me by my middle name. 
You say, Pierre, how you doing? And I was naive, little 15, 16-year-old boy. I said, well, I was addicted to pornography, used to masturbate like five times a day, had sex with over 200 men, but Pastor Bagwell laid hands on me the other day, and I feel free. I'm going to go get some donuts. God bless you, brother. My parents used to walk up to me and say to me, I don't want you around my kids because I don't want that thing to get off on them. Around 16, the Lord told me I was called to full-time ministry. At 17, he told me to drop out of high school, and here's the deal with that. I was an honor roll student on my way to an Ivy League college with, with a scholarship. And the Lord told me six months before I was going to graduate, John, he said, I want you to drop out of school. I said, Lord, come here. Uh, like I know you created everything but I think you have forgotten what my grandmother is like and um, I literally had this conversation with the Lord I said Lord if I drop out of school right now my grandmother will kill me and the Lord within a blink of an eye said to me I'll kill you and make another one just like you I said well okay <laughs> told my grandmother I was going to full time ministry now I had a word that I was going to the nations what I didn't know was that initially God was going to send me to clean toilets in the tenderloin in San Francisco some of you great and mighty people who want to be an overnight wonder and you haven't had the character built in you to make your gift last. And I worked in downtown San Francisco for two years cleaning, cleaning feces off of walls of meth addicts. I'd walk in one of my jobs outside of our internship was to clean up the human uh, poop that would be left on from the crackheads the night before. And here I am with a prophetic word that I'm going to be going to the nations to preach the gospel and I'm cleaning up the local crackheads' feces. Yeah, you want to be great? Here's a towel. Some of us, we don't want to be great. We want to be famous. We want to be rich. Just be honest. Come on, be honest. It's just us tonight. Be, we, we don't want to be faithful. We want to be famous. Because would, would you let God use you if nobody got to know your name, if it never changed your bank account. And I remember 17 years old, church wouldn't talk to me anymore. They had, I was an outcast at my church. My grandmother told me, she said, don't come to my house. She was telling people that I was a part of a cult. And she said, don't come to my house for two years. Wasn't allowed to come to Thanksgiving or Christmas. On Christmas morning, I would stay in the internship and I was the only one left in the dorm by myself crying, wondering, God, is this your will? And then hearing something in the back of my head saying, if you faint not, if you want to reign with me, you've got to suffer with me. I kept hearing stuff like there is no crown without a cross. I kept hearing stuff like the world would never be easy. I kept hearing stuff like this because my whole life, my picture of ministry and doing something for the kingdom was so glamorous. But I didn't know that you had to go through a hard walk because God was testing you. Are you really doing this for the kingdom? And now people look at our ministry and this year alone, we've already ministered to over close to 100,000 people. We uh, see people around the world. We have all kinds of conferences, met all kinds of famous people. Some of my heroes I've sat with, and they're no longer my heroes because they got a great anointing, but they have no character. And I've, I've sat around, and, and, I, and I've watched God. I sat, I sat, had lunch with one of the top number one preachers in America, having lunch with him, this little kid, orphan kid from the hood of San Francisco. And people are looking at me going, man, you were in full-time ministry at 17 years old? You know what I tell him? Let me tell you how he brought me out of Egypt. <laughs> 
people looked at me at 17 years old and said, man, you can't even go to your grandmother's house for Thanksgiving. And you know, I had so much joy in my heart to be able to tell them, yeah, but let me tell you what he did for me. See, in Exodus chapter 13, God says to Moses, your children are going to ask, why are you doing this? And he said, tell your children the story about Egypt. Come here, Kellen. Oh, Kellen, not Kellen. Thank you, though. Think about Kellen. Just stand right there. Kellen, five years ago, was still homeless. And I think about her being a part of our team. And this woman can pray and she can cook. Haven't figured out which one she can do better, but they're both of them pretty good. And you can look at the way she worships and just know that she knows God. But can I tell you, she used to be so worried about where she was going to live because she was homeless for years. And if you asked her today, because she's going to South Africa tomorrow morning with our team to go work with orphans for the first time, just got her first passport, and she's going, and was it hard to raise money? Heck to the yes. But was it worth it? Let me tell you what he did for her. (laughs) Come here, Sarah. Sarah's who we call Dory on our team because she's just a wanderer. She gets, can't take her anywhere overseas. She gets lost everywhere. And I love Sarah because Sarah really got right with the Lord at Collide service about a year ago. And she sat with me for a second and she was having a hard time and struggling because she's gone on so many mission trips now that now people don't want to continue to invest in her. And she keeps telling me, Pastor Dell, it's just hard to be encouraged. It's hard to stay true. How do I do this? And you know, my thing is, Sarah, I want you to remember where God brought you from before you came to collect. Remember how you were backslidden? You had grown up in church your whole life and then you decided to go sleep around with your boyfriend and live this life of promiscuity and insecurity. Can I remind you that he brought you out of that? See, it becomes way easier to raise money when you remember how far he brought you. It's quiet in this Pentecostal church. Come here, Cynthia. Cynthia's our head intercessor. Don't mess with Cynthia. Cynthia. Cynthia doesn't play in the spirit, but she can fight in the natural too. You got that strong Latina blood. And Cynthia's still raising money for South Africa, too. Because it gets hard to diminish it. Because people don't want to sow. We'll sow $5 for a cup of coffee, but not donate $5 so that people can go and do see overseas work for the ministry. And, and you're struggling to raise money. And you go, why are you even going to South Africa? You got a good job. She gets paid a lot of good money. She can get, just sit here and be very comfortable. One time she went to our website without anybody asking. And she gave this huge donation. And she wrote in the comment section, I'm doing this. I'm, I give my money away so that God can use me. And you can look at her going, why are you going all the way to South Africa to minister to these people? But if she told you her story, she would tell you about how she was on the edge of suicide, bound by a spirit of depression, but with a mighty strong hand. Let me tell you, there's stories behind this praise. Come here, Jasmine. Jasmine's our missions director. We're praying for her to get married. She's holy and hot, fellas. But none can come to the Jasmine unless they come through me. 
But you look at Jasmine, and you would never be able to tell that before she came to Collide, she was incredibly afraid to even hold a mic because of the fear of public speaking. And here she is, not just going on a mission trip, but she's leading the entire missions team and has done such an excellent job. And you can look at her and go, what? And, and, and just, just, man, I'm going to get in trouble if she didn't want me to say this. But just quit her job so that she could go into full-time ministry by faith. And you can look at that and go, what a noble person. But can I tell you what it was like for her in Egypt? Can I tell you that she's had abortions? you about the miscarriages that she's had? Can I tell you about the times that she was molested? And you look at some of this team, and this is just some of our team that is going to South Africa. We got people from all over the world going on this trip. And you can look at them and go, man, oh, bravo, good job, you got it. But can I tell you what inspired them to go minister to people all the way in Africa? With a mighty strong hand. brought him up out of Egypt, I'm sorry, out of, out of abortion, out of suicide, out of homelessness, out of promiscuity. All over this room for just a moment, I'm going to close in prayer, but would you, would you just close your eyes for just a moment, no one walking around. I know I went longer than normal tonight. God sent you here because he doesn't just want to be a part of your life. He wants to be first in your life. And many of you have struggled with prioritizing God. God's been telling you to go on mission trips. God's been telling you to serve in ministry. God's been telling you to join the worship team. God's been telling you to go to Bible college. God's been telling you to do all these other things. And you've been struggling with it because you have forgotten that he brought you out of Egypt with a strong hand. And when you remember how far God has brought you and what he's done for you, how he restored your marriage when it was on the edge of divorce, how he brought your kids back home when they were strung out on drugs, how he restored your family. When you remember, it's not a hard thing to share your faith. When you remember how far he brought you, it's not a hard thing to pray for a little while. Here's what I want to ask you with your eyes closed. What have you prioritized? above the kingdom come on young person have you prioritized your future over the kingdom come on mom have you prioritized your kids over the kingdom come on dad is it all about that company and that job that you have and so now you're spending thousands on a renovation in your home but you've got no money and finances for the kingdom Come on, newlyweds. I know you're spending so much time together that you don't want to spend any time in the house of the Lord. But can I remind you how far he brought you? With your eyes closed, I want you to take a moment and just, I want want you to deal with God in this area. I want you to ask the Lord, what is it in my life that I've placed above you and your kingdom? Go ahead and ask the Lord. Ask the Lord, what have I done? What have I placed over you and your kingdom? And while you're asking that, would you ask him, remind me what you brought me from? 
You may not have had an abortion. Maybe you just grew up in an abusive home and the Lord restored your broken heart. Maybe you were wounded and the Lord made you whole. Ask him, remind me, Lord, of what you did for me. And when you start thinking back on what the Lord did for you and how he brought you out, would you just slip up your hands and just begin to thank him for bringing you out of Egypt? Thank him for delivering you. Thank him for breaking the fear. Thank him for breaking. Some some of you were so addicted to drugs that no 12-step program could help. But you came down to an altar one Sunday morning and he had a one-step program with you and the anointing fell and you were set free completely. Some of you were in so much sexual bondage, but then the Lord showed you what true intimacy was. And come on, as you remember what God has done, slip up those hands and just tell the Lord, God, thank you. Thank you for bringing me out. Thank you for setting me free. Thank you for delivering me. Thank you for not letting me tie in my trespasses and sin. Thank you. God, I was going to church my whole life and still living in sin. And you didn't take me out. And I want to say thank you. God, I was on the worship team and still sleeping around. And you didn't kill me. Thank you. showed me my team will tell you when it comes to stuff like this I obey God the Lord said Del when you finish this message I want you to do a prophetic act I said what is it Lord when the children of Israel would come out of a test or a trial or warfare or something some obstacle they would set up a memory stone because it was important to remember what the Lord had done and there they would offer a sacrifice to the Lord so here's what we're going to do tonight the reason I saved the offering to the last is because the Lord told me he was going to begin to deal with people and that in response to the Lord dealing with you there was going to be a response that you had to make financially. Because some of you in this room, you're afraid that God won't provide. You're afraid that there won't be enough. So mission team, I want you guys to grab those buckets under that front seat there. I want to do, John. The Lord's going to begin to deal with many of you. We're going to receive tonight's offering. We're going to go back into worship and prayer because I believe the Lord is consecrating many of you tonight. This is part of our team that's going to South Africa. And I believe what God wants you to do is the same thing Israel did. That in response to coming out of Egypt that you would offer him a sacrifice that is worthy of what he did for you. Now, I'm not going to tell you what to give because that's going to be different for every single person in here tonight. And our bills are paid. Everything is taken care of. And so we're not doing this to manipulate people. This is what the Lord told me to do. And those of you who come to Collide, you know I've never done this before here at the Collide. I just told the Lord I'm going to obey him. 
that I believe in response to what the Lord has brought you out of and delivered you from, that he is asking for you to make a sacrifice as a prophetic sign that you're going to place him first again. He's been second, he's been third, and he's been big in your life, but he hasn't been first. Jesus said this, he said, you cannot serve me and mammon, which is money. Because Jesus recognized the thing that is in opposition, especially for our culture, to us being obedient to God, is our resources, our time, finances, our relationships. going to do. I'm going to let the Lord deal with you for a moment before I leave this in this altar time. And our staff and our leaders, they're going to begin to walk the aisles right now if you need an envelope. Tonight I've prepared an offering. I think I left it in the back. I'm going to have to grab it because the Lord got it in my pocket. The Lord told me what to give earlier today because I don't want to be a hypocrite. I knew what the Lord would require me. And it's a sacrifice. It's a huge sacrifice. But it's not hard to sacrifice to the Lord because I remember where I was before I met him. And so no hype, no yelling, no shouting, no screaming. Worship team is going to begin to lead us in worship again. But over these next few moments before we close in prayer, before we call you to the altar and you might want to rededicate and allow the Lord to be first in your life again. It doesn't mean you're not saved, but you've got to put the Lord first in your life take a moment would you just deal with the lord as to what you're supposed to sow tonight everything you give we're going to use it for south africa and for ministry there so whether it's thirty dollars ten thousand dollars we're going to use it for ministry but as our leadership team begins to walk up and down the aisles with envelopes you can give three ways tonight you can give by cash by card or you can give by check and write it out to the cloth but i want you to do this of your own free will as you do that, what I want you to do, and I wanted our missions team specifically to receive this offering, because I want you to be a blessing to them. But this is really in response to what the Lord has done for us. When the Lord begins to deal with you, would you just come up here? So leadership team, you should be walking up and down the aisles by now. Go ahead, worship team. Just begin to lead us in just a moment of worship. If I can get an envelope. Pour out our praise, it's your, 
in our lives. So we pour out a praise to you only. Great.